I find that question to be, you know, as a reader, a very loaded question. Like, what have you been reading lately? And, and this will de help determine whether you get a job or not. What if, it, what if lately I'm just on a reading kick that's kind of, you know, childish or inappropriate, right? What if I'm reading the wrong book today and someone's going to ask me about it tomorrow? Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Dr. Harmon, we're back for Medical Dads. Good morning, Dr. Shu, and how are you feeling today? Terrible. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. I thought I was immune to all illnesses the last few years. I hadn't gotten sick in so long, but uh, so much for that idea. I'd say all these people are like, yeah, my immunity is so strong, I haven't gotten sick since the start of COVID. Uh, or maybe it's because I haven't seen another living soul since the start of COVID. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, my son was able to penetrate the defense system of the Death Star. Oh, yeah. And uh, he he was sick for like a couple of weeks, yeah. right? And it, it kept dragging on so long that we all thought we were immune eventually. Like when he first got sick, our whole family was wearing masks around him. We had him like eating dinner separate from all of yeah. us. And then we did this for about two weeks. Like we're pretty like steadfast about this. And he started to get better. Yeah. He turned a corner. And then, so the mask came off, we started eating together because we're like, you know, at this point, you know, at two weeks, you figure with these like half-hearted, like masking efforts and in-home isolation, you know, you probably got exposed anyway. Right. So then we, we let our guard down is what happened. Let our guard down. And then he started getting worse again, right? And then this was like last week when I was talking to you and we were like, is, is this a real ear infection or not? So he goes, he gets a bit worse for another three or four days. And I think it was that period where our masks were off. Yeah. He was actually still going with his illness. And then, then it knocked me over. So I've been out for the last week and now we're just waiting for the other two shoes to drop. <laughs> Literally my wife, my daughter, they're still okay. So now, now we're back to masking. So it's, it's been like a month of masking in home, in, home in your own house. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think the, Protection of family members within a home with masking is uh, is dubious at best. But there's all these factors working against you, right? Because uh, there's an incubation period for the virus. So by the time one person has symptoms, you may already mm. be infected. And it's just hasn't shown itself yet. You know, like a, right. the Trojan horse has already gotten through the gates. And now it's just giving a little bit of time before it uh, releases all the troops and takes over the place. Right, right. So that's one way to think about it. There's the other way to think about it, which is that you just do what you can in this never-ending war, yeah. right? Use up any strategy that you can, any ammunition, any any over-the-counter cough syrup that you have, anything. Something's got to help us through this. I guess uh, there's a certain logic to being like, uh, maybe if I put out food even after the horses are out of the gate, uh, maybe I'll still <laughs> maybe I'll still somehow retain a horse. I guess that's the same idea. I, I always like to think of uh, living my life according to the creed of Michael Jordan. He, his whole thing was that you got so many bullets in the holster, right? Uh -huh. If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down having spent every bullet, right? 
that's my attitude when it comes to this you know lozenges tylenol masking you know vaccinations whatever it is every every piece of ammunition we're gonna throw at this sucker you don't want to be the people on the show survivor who go home with a hidden immunity idol in their pocket like (laughs) exactly exactly so yeah it's been a long week it's been a long week and it's not just me everyone's sick lately like this has just been a long winter i i i've I've been organizing a little bit of like a basketball practice Mm -hmm. in the evenings for a couple of my friends you know once a week and it's just like a revolving door of friends who are sick if it's not one guy's son that's sick it's the other guy's son or it's my son or it's like these kids are like really dragging us down at this point (laughs) truly it is the kids who uh break through all your your lines of defense right yeah. it's like those movies where the family is hiding uh, in a basement or in a closet while the monster or the villain is stalking by and it's the kid who coughs or makes some noise and that gives them away and then then everybody's undone but f- yeah. for me this is often a reassuring thing when i'm talking to a family because i'll i'll the kid is the one they bring in because they're, they're where the kid is sick. And I'm trying to figure out, is it a virus, like a flu or something like this? Or is it a bacterial infection? And I'll say, is anybody else at home sick? And when they start telling me, oh, yeah, everybody's sick, then I'm thinking, all right, well, then that reduces the likelihood that this is a pneumonia that has affected everybody in the family. But the parents mm-hmm. are often respond to that question with, uh, oh, yeah, I'm starting to get sick now. But, but his thing started before that. So it's not the same thing. <laughs> like, um... <laughs> Or is it possible that it is the same thing and that your child gave it to you? So actually, from a public health perspective, this winter has been particularly bad, right? It's all over the news everywhere, like that in Toronto and in Ontario as a whole, you know, emergency rooms are packed. There's coughs and colds everywhere. You know, it's just, this is a long winter that we're setting ourselves up for. And there's no end in sight at this moment. I'll give you some uh, some silver linings. Uh, we've got the data from Australia. When we often look to Australia because their viral season comes before ours. So we often look to mm. see uh, in the past when they had started to reduce their COVID restrictions, they got hit really hard afterwards and then they warned us. And so we were a bit more prepared knowing that we were going to get hit hard sort of. The, All right. So the what's, co- what's coming down the pipe? So they had a big spike in terms of more influenza, uh, more RSV than they had even pre-COVID. But their spike their, uh, ended early. So their viral season started earlier than usual and it ended earlier than usual. So okay. ours, ours also started uh, to peak much earlier. I shouldn't say peak because we haven't seen that ours reached its complete peak. But our, our viral season has certainly started earlier and went up a lot faster. Um, but there is some hope that perhaps our February, March might not be as bad um, if everybody's getting sick now and then has some immunity by the, end of the, by the end of the winter. All right. Well, looking forward to that. But I will do my best to slog through this episode. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So today, what are we talking about? Books. Finally. Right. We, we actually had intended to come back to this topic, but we had so many other things to talk about that kind of got put on the back burner for a while. So, so now we've officially run out of good ideas because we finally got into books. Is that, is that... Absolutely not. This is like our best idea ever, right? Where we really get to break down what kids are reading, give parents some advice on what books they can buy for Christmas as gifts. Great great discussion i'm looking forward to it i'm a huge books gift giver right i'm always giving people books my wife thinks it's terrible she's like people don't read kids look at books and they get bored i'm like that's only you you're the only one that gets bored right 
Maybe people have been. Maybe she's been getting the wrong book. Maybe people keep giving her the wrong book as a gift. Why well, you, you can't give books to someone who doesn't read? All right, as a gift giver, that's always an iffy thing. Like if you're gonna give someone who doesn't read something, <laughs> you gotta give them like a magazine subscription, like a lot of something with a lot of photos. <laughs> I remember one Christmas when my son must have been about two, uh, maybe two and a half, and. Uh, my wife's school was putting on something where you could bring the kids and they and and the, all the high school students and whatnot were helping to to throw a little party for the for the kids of the parents or the kids of the teachers. So anyhow, uh, one of the things was that your kid would get a gift, but you had to bring it. So you had to to bring a gift. They would uh, unwrap it, and then they have somebody. I think somebody dressed as the Grinch uh, was was then hand out the gift to your to your kid. Uh, Who thinks of these kind of ideas? This is crazy. I, I mean, I, their heart was in the right place, right? This is, a, this is people that wanted to show some appreciation to the teachers and uh, and entertain mm-hmm. kids at the same time. So anyway, sure. that wasn't the bad part of the idea. I don't, I don't think that was where things went wrong in the story. Where things went wrong in the story was when we decided to bring a gift for my son, my wife brought a book. <laughs> so uh, she wrapped up. Touché. <laughs> And, we, and he was really into Batman at the time. He really wanted uh, Batman Duplo Lego for Christmas that year, he kept telling us. Um, and uh, so she had a Batman, a little mini Batman Lego book, like a Lego Batman book. She wrapped it up. We get to the thing, and the Grinch is handing out like, the gifts. And some people, I don't know, whatever big gift that they were planning to give for Christmas, they decided, ah, you know what, we're giving it early this year. The Grinch is giving it out. <laughs> so I remember one little kid's opening this thing, and it's a, a little miniature construction set where he's got like a, ha- a little mini hammer and, and screwdrivers and glasses and all these little things you could saw and stuff like that. Uh, anyway, my son opens his book. His reaction was just hilarious. He opens it up. He barely had any words at this point, but he was able to, to get out something along the lines of like, a book! And then he just flung it across the room like a Frisbee. <laughs> and it like landed on the floor and slid under the lost and found. So I guess your wife is not maybe the only person uh, who is adverse to giving books as a, as a gift, or at least not the only person adverse to receiving them as a gift. Well, you know what my wife likes to do instead of giving kids books? Every time we take her like shopping uh, for like gift giving for somebody else, yeah. she's always in that aisle of the toy store. You know the aisle with the educational sets? Like <laughs> here's like a math board game, right? Or oh you you really need a microscope when you're eight years old, right? You gotta look at things microscopically all the time. Well, I mean a microscope is a pretty cool gift. Uh, I think a lot of kids would, would would get some fun out of a microscope. I don't know so much about giving them math books. <laughs> it's like when <laughs> When my ki- when my daughter was like six or five, she was reading a Diary of a Wimpy Kid series, yeah. and there, this was referenced in it. One of his the main character decided to raise money at some point yeah. and held a garage sale, and he had this stack of educational gifts that he had received <laughs> over the years that were unopened. They were they were like new, right? I was and my daughter and I were reading that. Hey, that's mummy's gifts. <laughs> mummy's gifts showed up in this book. Awesome. So any, anything that has the word STEM written on it, she's she's a sucker oh. for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with learning, but I, I just like to get right to the chase of finding kids a good book. Well, I feel like if, if you put some thought into it, you can find something that almost everyone would like to read. And if they're really not readers... There's always comic books and graphic novels. There's so many options out there. Yeah, and people, listeners will be glad to hear that my son now appreciates books as a gift and has even asked for books. As, he has specific books he'll ask for. As, oh, yeah, I want this for my birthday. I want this for, I want this for Christmas. Mm. Yeah. I, I think we've talked about this before, though. 
giving adults books to read is a whole different thing, right? Yes. You give a kid a book, they're pretty voracious readers, or you kind of know this person's into reading. Mm-hmm. It's one thing. When you give an adult a book, like you're asking them to commit like, you know, 20 hours to a novel and they might not like the novel. It might be a book that you like, but you know, you don't know if it'll translate to other people liking it. It's such an individual thing for adults. It's, it's a bit different. I, I, I have trouble gifting things to adults at this point. Yeah. But, I mean, anyway. we could go on a whole thing about just adults and reading and how, how many, what percentage of the population reads in their free time, uh, reads books in their free time. Not Yeah, we, this could be a whole other discussion. And I, I don't want to have that discussion right now, but I will just say it drives me crazy when people tell me they read a book uh-huh. and then you probe a little bit more and, it t- and then they tell you they listen to the audiobook version <laughs> and they pass that off as reading book. to you. Yeah, I'm a big reader. I just pop the book into my... Uh, into my mp3 player and listen to it in the car and it's like that's not reading <laughs> we have a lot of uh, crestfallen blind listeners uh, to this podcast <laughs> who, who now feel all right so dr shu has just dismissed everything i do my <laughs> well fine if you put it that way now we're gonna have to edit out that whole sequence <laughs> oh no, no it's gotta stay <laughs> a life lesson right there uh but i i i, I can appreciate that when people go out of their way to make it seem like they read the book uh, if they haven't mm. read it. Uh, what, what's yeah. funny for me is I do a lot of interviews and I've been through a lot of interviews as probably you have too, right? Because when you go through med school, you got to get interviewed for med school, interviewed for residency, then interviewed when you go for a staff job. Maybe if you did a fellowship, right. you got interviewed for that. Uh, and often these interviews, people will ask the question, you know, tell me about a, a, a book that you read lately or, or tell me about a good book that you read lately. Um, and sometimes they'll even simply ask you, what do you like to do in your free time? And somebody will think the right answer is read. And then they'll say, oh, I like to read, uh, which then of course we'll have the follow-up <laughs> question of, yeah, and what have you read? And I say, I, I don't go out of my way to ask that question, but it is hilarious. The responses I've seen to people trying to pass themselves off as readers when they haven't read a book and including this one guy who starts going into detail about the plot of his book, about this character and... It's a bit of a mystery, a mystery novel where uh, a woman gets killed and, uh, and she'd had some trauma in her past and her husband knew about it. And, and as he's going through the plot to the detail, I'm really like, wait a minute, this is the, this is the plot of the graphic novel, i.e. the comic book, Identity Crisis. <laughs> this is like a, a Superman Justice League like, uh, the comic book about the atom. Uh, so I had to say to him, like, what, what, the book you're describing... Uh, is this a comic book? <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, I, well, I, 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 it's a graphic novel. It's a graphic novel. <laughs> like, man, I, maybe you shouldn't have brought that up uh, without being honest right at the beginning because I'm the one guy in this interview panel who you could have just straight up said, can I tell you about a comic book? And I would have been like, yes, you are in. You have the job. <laughs> I, I find that question to be, you know, as a reader, mm-hmm. a very loaded question. Like, what have you been reading lately? And, and this will de- help determine whether you get a job or not. Yeah. What if it, What if lately I'm just on a reading kick that's kind of, you know, childish or inappropriate, right? What if I'm reading the wrong book today and someone's going to ask me about it tomorrow? Yeah. I remember my med school interview. And luckily, I wasn't reading the wrong book because I got in. But the, they asked me what I what book I really was into. And I said, The Lord of the Rings. And now I'm looking back on it, I'm like, I would never answer that question with the Lord of the Rings as an adult now. Absurd. And I remember trying to tell him, like, I was just really impressed that one man had had, you know, the imagination to, like, put this entire world together, blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a miracle I got into medical school, really. 
I'm sure as you were going on and on about that, uh, at least one person on the interview panel was thinking, you shall not pass. <laughs> at least I didn't make up something and turn it, a comic book into a real book. Well, that's probably the thing, right? They, you gave your answer, and probably nine out of ten other people gave an answer that just simply was not sincere, and people could see through it. But one little aside oh. about med school interviews. Many of us have stories about the crazy, wild, wacky thing we said during a med school interview that we've told ourselves, that's how I, that's how I knew I was going to get in because I gave such a creative, unexpected, off-the-wall answer that that's like... I, but having now sat through many an interview, I realized, no, 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 no. Most people got in despite those stupid answers because only about 10% of people truly knock an interview out of the park. And then... Probably like five, well, maybe at the med school level, maybe about 20% of people totally give up a big red flag. That's an obvious, do not bring this person in. And then the, the vast majority of people in the middle are like, all right, well, you said some dumb stuff, but we know that like, interviews are stressful and people say dumb things. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about books. Is this is a good time of year to talk about it. We got gifts to buy. There's still time to pick up your last minute shopping items. Let's fill some of those stockings with things that our kids approve of and and we approve of. Awesome. You want me to start or do you want to start? Uh, Go for it. Okay. Well, maybe we'll start with a recommendation from my youngest kid because I I think we tend to Mm. start with the younger age books and we work our way up on this show. So uh, people have heard me talk in the past about a – people have heard me talk about a Sesame Street book uh, where it's something like there's a monster at the end of the book and then each page it's Grover the monster trying to convince the reader not to turn the page but to turn it anyway until you get oh, to the end of the book. This is a, this is a that's a iconic book. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, very famous book. I actually even read a Washington Post article talking about the anniversary of that specific book. Yeah. So yeah, that that's a reading experience that pretty much all children need to have around age four. Well, that 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 book is a fond memory from uh, from when I was a kid. When one of my like one of the other little kids on my street showed me that book and and re- went through it with me. But that's not the book that I came to recommend because I've recommended that one in the past. But uh, in a sort of a similar type of vein, there's a book that my daughter really enjoys and has read many many times uh, and still reads now. And this is my uh, my seven year old called. Uh, let me make sure I get the title right. It's don't push the button. Um, <laughs> okay. Wait, actually, I think I might be massacring it. Let me just uh, make a hundred percent sure because I have the book here with me. It's don't. This is a reflection on Donald Trump's presidency and his time holding the the keys to the nuclear weapons. That's <laughs> yes. It's a book about uh, about the entire 1980s Cold War. No, it's yeah. It's called Don't Push the Button. Uh, by a guy named mm. Bill Cotter. Uh, so the premise okay. of the book is that there's this purple monster, and the front of the book right, tells you that you know don't push the button, and there's a drawing of a button in the book. And when you open the book, uh, there's that button again, and there's the monster saying, you know, okay, w- w- like, this is my book. My name is Larry the Monster. Welcome to my book. There's only one rule: don't push the button. You know, a lot of books might take the gimmicky approach of having some kind of like a little like, electronic button to actually push or, or something like that. It's just a drawing of a button. And already the kid wants to push it and, and, and tap on that piece of paper. And you turn the page and, and he's sort of saying, like, seriously, though, whatever you do, don't push the button. And then as the book starts to go on, even the monster's curious about pushing the button. So the kid starts to push the button. And then you flip the page and you can start to see that something has changed because the monster pushed the button. And then eventually it has the kids shaking the book and this type of thing. 
But even as my daughter was describing the book this morning, because I was asking for her recommendations this morning, she's cracking up telling me about like, yeah, uh, yesterday I read the book and I started pushing the button right away. And I pushed it every time and I was laughing so much. <laughs> All right, okay. So don't push the button by Bill Cotter. If you have a seven-year-old or younger, I think you, uh, they'll enjoy reading the book with you. And they, if they are sort of an independent reader, they'll even enjoy reading the book on their own. You seem to be really big into these books where like the reader is like an active participant, like being narrated to. There was another book series that you recommended, and it was the one recommendation that my daughter did not like that you had given. Uh, well, that was a bit different, but yeah, okay. I think that was the secret series. Yes, yes. The, the secret series is not interactive. The secret series doesn't have things where it's sort of saying, turn the page upside down or shake the book to help the hero escape. But right. it, it talks directly to the reader where it's saying, yeah. You know, like, I'm letting you in on a secret, and it's, I shouldn't tell you this. It's one of the few books that sat on her bookcase, and periodically I go into her room, and I'm like, have you read this one? Come on, just read this. I, I hate the idea that there's books that have gone unread, <laughs> yeah. and she just won't do it. She's like, I'm not going to try that one. I, she's tried it, not going to go back there. Yeah, yeah, some books just don't land with some people. Uh, sometimes, sometimes a book does land really well with your kids or with yourself because mm -hmm. you happen to read it like at the right time after you just came off of the right pre preceding book yeah. or a thing like that. Yeah, there's a season for for certain things. You can't force yeah. it. Yeah, uh, that particular book, the Secret Series. I feel like your daughter is, or what age now? Nine. Nine. Oh, nine now. Nine. So there's a good there's a chance that she might like come around to that book like on her own if she's desperate for something to read in the next like two years. But I feel like if, if she doesn't get right. into it after that, then uh, then she'll maybe have outgrown that book and that style of book. Okay. But, All right. But if you read it with your son, it, you know, if you read it to him, I bet, huh. I bet you might have a, you might find an audience with that. That's true. Maybe, maybe actually that's the good thing about having multiple kids is, you know, you get two chances to impress somebody with a book. <laughs> that's right. Or if your kids really don't like your Trace's books, you might have to have four kids until you find one that likes it. <laughs> now, we'll balance this out. One book recommendation or one recommendation for life in general that you've made is the Smurfs. Yeah. And that thing has really taken a life of its own, <laughs> in our, taken on a life of its own in our house. Before it was my daughter. She like read all of those collections. Yeah. Right? And then at some point... On his own, my son discovered this thing. You saw it when he came over, when you came to visit in the summer. Like, he was like talking up a storm about Smurfs. I loved it. Right? So the recommendation that I got to give for kids in the age seven or below category is get them into Smurfs comics. Okay. Right? These, these comics are actually fantastic. Even for adults, you could sit there and, you know, read a quick you know, 10 page story and quite enjoy it even as an adult. They're not really written purely for children. Uh -huh. But they have such little details and little nuances that the kids love it. And it really gets them into reading. Yeah. And it was completely unexpected. So this company, Paper Cuts, has been re-releasing the Smurfs in these three-for-one volumes. Ah. So you can get three stories in one graphic novel size. Ah. And they've been coming out like every five or six months. So the most recent one just arrived this morning in time for our podcast. Ah. Like I got up this morning, went to went to get the car out of the garage and I see this little box from Indigo sitting on our front door and I knew this was the one I I so now I'm into this thing where I pre-order <laughs> comic books right so I know this thing's coming out I know volume eight's coming out like next year or something yeah. so it's already pre-ordered it's going to show up around the time the book gets released yeah. 
And then the kids have like this little treat suddenly out of nowhere. You know, brand new Smurfs book catches them by surprise. They love it. I'm inspired now. I take my own advice. I'm going to get the first volume of this paper cut Smurf collection. And I'm going to get that for my, uh, my, my seven-year-old, I bet, would like start to get into it. it and I bet it might the even one get my drawback of it. The one drawback of it is that it's a little small. Like when Paper Cuts has been re-releasing Smurfs, yeah. they've been putting them into these like slightly smaller format. It's it's maybe like ten inches instead of the original Smurfs comics were quite yeah, large. Yeah, they're big right? board books. They were the size of yeah, they were originally like the size of like Tintin. Yeah. And these are little ones. So the so sometimes, you know, we complain about like you know, maybe they're squinting a little too hard to read the text. And I've even thrust like, a, I, I knew there was no point trying to get my son to stop reading this because he was so into yeah. it. So I gave him a magnifying glass instead, but that didn't work either. I love it. You're worried that they're going to, they're going to squint too much. That they, they don't damage their I'm eyes. I'm worried that they're going to need glasses, <laughs> right? As an Asian parent, as a Chinese parent, I'm paranoid about everything, even things that are inevitable, right? <laughs> Oh my gosh! I can only think of uh, hilariously racist things to say about the concept of of your generalization that Asian people are worried that their kids need glasses. <laughs> um, but all right, uh, I, I gotta I gotta get I gotta get my kids more into Smurfs because when I went and saw when I saw your kids in the summer and they were so enthusiastic about Smurfs and were asking me questions, we were talking about the books. I'm like, yeah, I wish my kids were more into the Smurfs. <laughs> But your kids knew everything about Smurfs already. It, it was it was actually quite funny that like a, an eleven year old and a six year old could actually talk about content, right? Oh yeah, this was the one with the hundred Smurfs or something. Like I, they all knew it. Yeah, but I gotta. I, we haven't talked Smurfs in a while at my house. I gotta bring them back on. But I gotta get more Smurf stuff. I got more Smurf stuff in the house. Ah. Well, what about your kids? Uh, I gave a, a recommendation. Why don't we go back and forth a bit? Any recommendations uh, for the younger kids coming out of your place other than, uh, than reintegrating the Smurfs into our lives? Actually, no. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move up an age category because okay. my son likes to copy what my daughter reads. Yeah. And my daughter is the one that's like seeking out new books all the time. So the next book is from her, but he has also started reading, but I think is totally over his head. Okay. Right. And so there's a series of graphic novels and I'm talking about graphic novels as if they're books because they are. <laughs> Wait a minute. That story I told about the guy in the interview, was that you, Dave? Were you the guy that tried to pass off to me that you're. I have I have been passing off sequential art as literary <laughs> fiction for years, as listeners of this podcast are aware. But I Christmas is a time to bring other people into the fold of reading. And there's no better way to do that than with some good sequential art. So, so the lady that I'm going to be tooting their horn is, is Raina Telgemeier. She's this uh, graphic novel artist or graphic novel creator who's written a very famous series, very best-selling series. If you've gone to any bookstore in the last five years with children, you'll recognize the covers of these things. There's one called Drama. There's one called uh, Sm Smile, Guts. Yes, I think I know that. Okay, yes. And, uh, so I'm assuming your kids have read this. So my yeah. daughter... My daughter found the first one around the time she needed braces. Ah. Earlier this year, my daughter needed to do braces because some of her teeth were misaligned. Ah. She had to go like three or four months, you know, wearing these rubber bands. And like we had to do all this funny flossing technique to get around these braces, yeah. which thankfully are finished now. But around that time, we found this book at the bookstore and it was called Smiles. And it was about a girl having to go through this ordeal of having an appliance in her mouth and how that affected her and then the on and off issues. And then from there we read, my daughter read the rest of the series, uh -huh. right? 
And next thing you know, my son's starting to pick this, these books <laughs> up. And, I'm, and, and he's, he's sitting there reading it. And I'm like, you understand this? Like some of these books are kind of complicated, right? Yeah. Like, like drama actually has, you know, mentioning, you know, people coming out of the closet and cross-dressing. And like, I was like, <laughs> he, he, he seemed to enjoy reading the book overall. <laughs> well, you, right? get, you start to think like, oh, he has a, he's a strangely peculiar interest in that particular book. <laughs> Well, not that one particular, but also there was one called Sisters, where it was about these two sisters who didn't get along, but actually at the end it got revealed that the parents were having marital difficulties. Ah. Like these are complicated themes. And I actually, as I read it, I was very impressed with the way that the author weaved some of these themes into, you know, a, a very straightforward, but, you know, compelling story that a child would understand. Yeah. And I, I think it's much smarter than it looks, mm. these books. And a pretty good way for children to get introduced to some of the more complicated issues in life. So I really appreciated it. And I, I would highly recommend this series to anybody who's looking for something to try. Yeah, my daughter's read those. My oldest daughter's read those. And she's, she's really enjoyed them. And I remember picking up one of the books and just flipping through it a little bit and seeing a scene where it looked like a father was slapping his son in the face. Like his father slapped his teenage son in the face or something like that. And it was really mm. like, okay, these cover some heavy, heavy material. You know, other than that, now, the book was meant to be a parenting guide. I couldn't quite tell how they were trying to spin that. Now, she is also the artist of the Babysitter's Club graphic novel, graphic novelization. Ah, you know, it's right? funny you mentioned that because that was on my list when, when I <laughs> asked my, my, my same daughter, my oldest daughter, who's 12 now, who, who's read these books. And she read them when she was something like 10. Uh, when I was asking ah. for recommendations, she was saying, talking about the Babysitter's Club, which I think... Maybe one of these smile or guts was what then led to her reading a, a Babysitter's Club graphic novel. Yes. And then that in turn has led to her reading the actual novels, which was nice to see that a graphic novel could be a gateway to actual like, novels, which is what we always try to spin that to parents when we tell them you should let your kids read comic books. Like, don't worry, it'll get them right. reading in general. Turns out it's true. Right. Now, we've talked about the Babysitter's Club on the show before. Have we not? Uh, I, probably. It's hard to imagine we would have talked <laughs> books and it was wouldn't have come up before. Yeah, like I had not, I mean, I read a lot of those when I was a kid also. Yeah. But recently we had the same experience in our house where my daughter had read most of the other books like Drama and Guts and she's like, we, I took her to the bookstore. I'm like, pick a book. And she kept, she's like, I want to try the Babysitter's Club. I'm like, really? You should try the novel, the, read the actual. I'm always into people reading the original. Yeah. She's like, no, no, I want to read the graphic novel. I'm like, okay, fine. It's your treat. You pick what you want. So then she read it, and then I read it again huh. out of curiosity. And it really brought back memories of this series of books. I, I feel like it, in many ways, gets captured even more nicely in the graphic novel form than in the actual book form. I think I'm starting to have the flashback of the episode where we talked about this, and you basically revealed that you read, as a kid, all the Babysitter's Club, all the Sweet Valley Twins or Sweet Valley High and, uh, I did not read all of those. Just the Babysitter's <laughs> oh, Club. Okay. It was the other guy in my class, Michael Dowlett, uh, was the one secretly right, reading Sweet Valley High. Right. You, were, you were just holding them for a friend. So I remember that. <laughs> but yeah, like now I'm, I'm, as I'm reading, so I reread the first Babysitter's Club book. The, the uh, novel in or graphic the uh, novel graphic form? Novel. The graphic novel. Yeah. And then I realized, wow, this series was actually, you know, really groundbreaking in terms of how much he heavy real life, you know, childhood experience. It compacted into these little books yeah. up that were ostensibly about babysitting. Like in this first book, 
you know, the main character, she's dealing with the fact that her mom is divorced and she's thinking about remarrying yeah. and it's making the daughter uncomfortable. There's another girl who's on this, you know, diet and you don't really know why. You're kind of wondering, is does she have an eating disorder? Then there's like an, an Asian American character, which is like completely unheard of at that point in time. Like there were no Asian Americans in the Hardy Boys. I'll tell you that much, right? Like Babysitter's Club was groundbreaking, right? They had the Asian American female character who's kind of trendy, not doing that well in school, but she's got like the nerdy older sister who the parents love. And I was like, wow, like this, like Anne M. Martin, like, wow. Like you, you were going like, five separate you know crazy adult storylines at the same time like this is intense <laughs> it's crazy when like simply being asian is right up there with having type 1 diabetes which was one of the other kind of groundbreaking <laughs> characters from uh, the babysitters club books right right the, the graphic novels i think are what have been adapted into the netflix tv show because there's a netflix series whoa, whoa wait there's a tv show about this oh my gosh you didn't know this Oh. Okay, we're going to stop the recording. I'm going to go watch some TV. <laughs> we will resume this podcast in about 18 hours because I think that's how many <laughs> hours worth of Net Babysitter's Club there is on Netflix. Is it good? I mean, my ki my oldest kid has watched them like again and repeatedly. So I've probably seen each episode bits and pieces in the background like three or four times. Wow. And uh, uh, Alicia Silverstone, who was like a kind of a big deal actress, like kind of young teenage actress, big deal actress, in the 90s um she's like the producer for this for the show and is also one of the p people in the show um oh wait i thought you were gonna say she was in the show at which point the podcast truly would stop and i would go watch it right now <laughs> but she's not actually in it she's in it so i guess the podcast will stop her she's about, in it okay this podcast will resume in five minutes that's all the time it's gonna take dave he'll be right back <laughs> um anyway uh the netflix version is uh, it takes place in the present because these books were originally been set in the 90s or something right and yeah. so 80s uh early 90s yeah, early 90s so not, like none of the characters had cell phones uh as, as late 80s late 80s late okay 80s. yeah so back then yeah no character had a cell phone and uh, as groundbreaking as it was there certainly were no characters with any kind of uh non-binary gender plot lines right uh whereas the 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 netflix series is much more updated, so it, it has all of these things, uh, and cell phones and whatever else. And then, I, uh, if I understand it right, the graphic novels also, like the plot lines, are more adapted to to the modern times. Yeah, slightly. Uh, yeah, which is interesting because after like falling in love with the graphic novels, then my daughter wanted to read the actual original novels. Yeah, she eats up these old ones that are, you know, where the characters, if they get lost somewhere. They have to find a payphone. <laughs> they have to find a road because they can't call anybody <laughs> on their cell phone. It's it's actually really well done. And then you you sometimes look at these series of books where like you know an author had a really good idea for the first book, and then by book eight or book ten or book four, it's kind of you know just kind of just pumping out books. So this so I don't really remember how the series goes as you get further and further. But I will say just from my reread of the beginning that this is actually an outstanding children's book series at the beginning. We didn't even mention one of the characters, I believe her mother had passed away, right? On top of all these other characters we named, one of the major characters only lives with her father, right? right. And that was, I remember as a kid, the heaviest story of all four of them. Yeah. 
Well, I, I on the on the Netflix show, I haven't read the book about it, but on the Netflix show, one of the characters on the show loses her grandmother, who's sort of been a character in some of the other episodes. And then one episode, the grandmother just flat out dies. And, uh, mm. and then it's like they, they, they kind of have the kid dealing through that whole grief cycle and everything like that. So mm. um, I don't know. <laughs> it's funny because my son definitely is not as into the Babysitter Club or any of this other kind of heavy, heady drama. But uh, I guess you're living proof that some boys will be really into this. So, so <laughs> unisex book. So let's move on. Yeah. What's what? What do you have for a slightly older age category, other than babysitters? Good. Is that the thing you were going to mention? I remember one previous time I was trying to recommend a book that my daughter had said she liked, but I couldn't remember which one it was. So I went up to her room and I grabbed the th- like three books off her shelf that I thought it was one of those books. Uh, but when I went back to ask her today, well, which was the book you wanted to recommend? She said the one that she intended for me to talk about was called Out of My Heart. Uh, Out of mm-hmm. My Heart uh, is a book about a girl with cerebral palsy who goes to a sort of a summer camp. And it turns out that she read that book first. And uh, that book is like part two in a, in a series of books. So, she was, she, so after she read that one, she really liked it. And... Uh, and, and wanted to find out what, what more about the backstory of the characters, so she read the first one. But all that to say that the, the, the second book, Out of My Heart, was the one that she really liked the most, and, and you didn't need to read the first book in the series to get it. The, the book series is by someone called Shannon, sorry, Sharon, Sharon M. Draper. That's the, uh, that's the author. And I think the first mm. book was called Out of My Mind and probably deals more with this person's like, like initial description of what it's like to have cerebral palsy. But anyway, she yeah, she really enjoyed this uh, this book about this girl's cerebral palsy going to summer camp, which is interesting because my daughter has has been to summer camp because you know I've talked a few times on the show about being a doctor at a summer camp and my family coming, and uh, and she's saying she actually doesn't really love summer camp that much. She doesn't want to go back to summer camp this summer, but she loves reading books about other people going to summer camp. <laughs> yeah, probably people who just love reading books about summer camp are not going to do well at summer camp. <laughs> at least if you're a guy. Like, summer camp is not a place for reading, <laughs> for readers. Uh, it is kind of true. that that uh, Like, my oldest daughter is that kid who you kind of always find her with a, with a book in her hand. If we're going to go somewhere, she wants mm. to bring a book. Uh, we've gone on walks. Like, a fa- we're saying, well, okay, we're going to go out for a family walk. And I've had to tell her, like, look, you can't read that book while you're walking. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is not the stereotype of the child who's going to thrive in a summer camp setting. <laughs> Although that's not to say that uh, I mean she says this about not enjoying summer camp, but I I, I think in the right circumstances she's definitely enjoyed summer camp. Um, so don't don't be discouraged to send your reader to summer camp if that's a thing you want to do. I have a recommendation for like the six to nine age category. Okay, this this was a series that I originally purchased for my son, thinking that he was get ready for something a little more meaty than picture books. Yeah. So I got him the whole Magic Treehouse set. Have you heard of this? I have not heard about this. This sounds Magic Treehouse. That's some, that sounds like something like, I don't know, like where a pedophile would be hiding out. No. 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 It's not this, about that? This is, no. This is where there's, there's these two kids who go into this treehouse. Uh-huh. And I believe there's different books in the treehouse. Depending on which books they read, the surrounding environment turns into the environment of the book. Oh, I see. So if they read a book about dinosaurs, when they come out of that treehouse, they're in Jurassic Park, basically. Oh, gotcha. Right? Or if they read a book about outer space, suddenly they're in outer space. And so each book in the series takes them to like a different milieu, yeah. right? And they can be in like far off places. They can be in prehistoric times. They can be in the future. It's really, 
it sounded really neat. I had never heard of this yeah. as a kid. So I bought this thing, gave it to my son, and it was in, he was in over his head. He wasn't really at the age where he was ready to read stuff like this. <laughs> the first book they picked up in the Magic Treehouse was uh, like uh, Atlas Shrugged. And all of a sudden they were in this boring environment of philosophical debates about whether it's true altruism or just self-serving altruism that drives humanity. So then, so then I, I left. I was like, okay, it's a, another $20 wasted during the pandemic, whatever. But then about a couple months later, my daughter comes to me and she's like, these books are amazing. Ah, she read them all, nice. right? And not only that, she was like gobbling them up at her school library ah. and then making me try to take out other ones at home, at, at the at the public library to bring home. And these books, I mean, they must be very successful because the series is up into like the, you know, the 30s and 40s. There's like tons of these things out yeah. there. So if you want a kid to get into a series and you want to get them in the love of learning of reading, yeah. This is one you might want to take a look at. Okay. This is Magic Treehouse. Yeah, okay, I gotta check that out. Magic Treehouse. I asked my daughter, my, one of my daughters, my daughter who's um, nine. I asked her for a recommendation. I said, "You can't say the bad guys book because we've already talked about that before on the podcast." So she said, "Well, uh, I like the Whatever After series, uh, but I think we've also talked about that before on the podcast." Yeah, that was a big hit. Yeah. Whatever After sounds a bit similar to what you're describing with the Magic Treehouse. Uh, it's mm-hmm. sort of one of these things where. Uh, even if you don't have a lot of like original ideas of your own as an author, you can just have your character go into other people's stories that have already been written and established. And it's kind of never ending because you can always think of another somebody else's story to have them go into. So there's one other series that has also, that my daughter's also gotten really into. So I'll mention it here. Have you ever heard of these I Survived books? Yes. I, I've never read one, but I've heard about them. Yeah. So basically, this is another long series. It's always like I Survived dot, dot, dot. And then there'll be some thing, yeah. right? That some some calamity. So it'll be like I survived Pearl Harbor, nineteen forty-two, and there'll be a novel about characters living in, you know, <laughs> Hawaii in nineteen forty-two when Pearl Harbor hits, or I survived the Great San Francisco earthquake, yeah. or I survived. I survived a night in the Magic Treehouse with Uncle Pete. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, so out, out, I mean, this is a book, another series that she's just gobbled through, uh-huh. and so. I was getting to this thing where at the age six or nine age range, I found it was a little bit difficult to find series mm. that I could remember yeah. that were really good at this age. Like we had, we had burned through Gordon Corman and I wasn't really sure what to do next. Yeah. So these were some of the ones that she found that she was a big fan of. So okay. people might want to take a look at this. Uh, okay, I got to check it out. And uh, are these written as sort of like a, a like true, true sort of, not true stories, but uh, like true events that they're trying to give you a good yeah, sense of what the I Survive like. series. Yeah, so it's a, it gives them a bit of historical information, yeah. but presents it in a way that's you know kind of entertaining. Okay, yeah, All right, that sounds that sounds like another one to check out. It's funny because that same daughter who I said you know you can't say bad guys book, she sort of mentioned the whatever after. She said uh, she likes Peppa Pig books and Teen Titans Go books. Mm-hmm. And I'm like I, I mean sure because you like those characters, you probably like those books, but I don't know if those are big books people are going to get hooked on. Uh, but then after all that, she said, and even though you said not to say it, I, I want to say the bad guys books because I really like those books. <laughs> the, um, the, the series that I wanted to mention is The Great Brain. I think I've mentioned it on our last book's discussion. Is it similar to Encyclopedia Brown, like a kid detective type of thing? No, The Great Brain is, uh, is an old... So this series is set in the United States in about the turn of the century. Okay. And the great brain is a character. He's the older brother of the narrator. Okay. His, he's basically like a super genius. Okay. In, in, the, in the early 2000s. 
No, no. In the turn of the century, like a hundred years ago. <laughs> I thought we've had two turns of centuries, and right? the most recent one was the what we <laughs> this century. All right, fine, fine. <laughs> so this is set in like the early twentieth century. Okay. All right, and in in Utah, which is home of all these Mormons, and this is a story about a Catholic family. Okay. The great brain is the older brother Tom Fitzgerald who is always going around swindling all his friends. So his, uh, his genius lies in the fact of how he's able to always come and make money off everybody else, yeah. right? And he's only motivated by greed. Okay. But he's not an, a completely bad guy, right? He has his moments where he, you know, he ends up being a decent <laughs> fellow. He's always busy ripping off his brother, the narrator, uh, okay. right? And get, getting them into scrapes. And it's, it's actually a hilarious series that I loved as a kid. Yeah. I could never find anyone else who had wanted to read this thing. And pretty much I forgot about it until one day my daughter was going through like my bookcase in my parents' house where all my old books yeah. are. And I was like, oh, you should try this. I had one book left. I had uh, the very, one of the last ones, like The Return of the Great Brain. Yeah. So we, I tried to read it to her and it was a little dense, yeah. but I was like, you know what? I'm not wrong. I'm sure this book series is, is good. And then, and then I happened to listen to a podcast with Gordon Corman because right? okay. my daughter got really into Gordon Corman and we had read all of the original McDonald Hall books. Yeah. So I listened to a podcast with Gordon Corman. He talked about how this series, The Great Brain, was actually inspired... Uh, one of the inspirations for McDonald Hall. And I, I was like, I, I could see yeah. that, right? Because it's about these mischievous kids yeah. and they're always kind of into trouble. They're kind of, they're not completely bad guys, but they're not completely good. Yeah. And next thing you know, I started reading the Great Brain series to my daughter before bed and she got really into it. Okay. At this point, we finished the series. We've concluded this is like the best series of novels for children ever written. Uh, There's nothing even close to it, yeah. right? Like the McDonald Hall, Gordon Corman books are amazing part of nostalgia for me but they are a distant second compared to this great brain series so if you really want to read something that's entertaining also gives people a slice of life of what it would have been like to grow up a hundred years ago uh, like this is an outstanding piece of fiction okay uh, to check it out is it uh, when was it written like how old of a series is this in the 50s in the 50s, in the okay. 50s. so kind of I think the writer was referencing a lot of events that occurred in his own childhood as he wrote this I would check that one out too Great, great. So, okay, so we've talked, so something that, so things I have to remember. I have to remember uh, to, to try one of these uh, Paper Cuts Smurfs uh, uh, collections, mm -hmm. uh, The Great Brain, and what was the other one that you said? I mean, I could just listen to the podcast later. And the Magic Treehouse, like, I Survived. Magic, Those are the big yeah, ones. Yeah, Magic Treehouse, I Survived. Okay. All right. And for your younger kids, don't push that button. And for your <laughs> older kids, Out of My Heart by, by, by Sharon Draper. I was going to finish it off by asking uh, if you've read any novels lately. Oh, I have read a novel. Yeah. The uh, Our Burning Hearts by Celeste Ng. I highly recommend this book. Okay. What happens to Batman in this book? <laughs> this is not a <laughs> Batman book. You asked me books that I recommend. I, was, I could talk about a book that I won't recommend to people. The book that I am recommending for adults for this Christmas is Our Burning Hearts, which is by Celeste Ng. She's an Ama Asian American writer. Uh -huh. She had written another book that I've loved. I've been, I've been tooting the horn of this other book for years. Anyone that's asked me, like, I need a novel to read. Yeah. I tell them to read Little Fires Everywhere, which got remade into a series on one of these streaming services starring Reese Witherspoon. Oh. But <clears throat> this is her new book. It just came out in time for the holidays. Uh -huh. And it's basically, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to love this. Basically, 
it's a dystopian future. Sto- it's a story set in a dystopian future that's slightly different from our own. Yeah. In which the United States has gotten into some sort of trade war with China, <laughs> and as a result, <laughs> as a result, Asian Americans are considered like, you know, the pariahs of society. Yeah. And and the American government has passed, you know, these these bills that allow for anyone who's a sympathizer to China yeah. to be separated from their parents. So like their ch- their children get taken away from their parents and re-educated elsewhere. Yeah. And the story is set in this environment about a boy who decides he's going to go and try to find his mother. And it's a little bit heavy-handed with with some of the uh, with the you know Asian Americanness yeah. at times. But it's an outstanding book. <laughs> when you when you first described this this book and said who the author was, I was going to make a joke about these books being some kind of Chinese propaganda uh, <laughs> pushing the, the 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 China narrative and the China uh, agenda. As, as, as you usually do. Uh, and then you said that, well, but then the movie was re- rewritten into a book with Ritherspoon. So I was like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe they're not about Asian characters. But, uh, but no, I should have gone with my initial instinct. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's more of a criticism of America and of how America... I think she wrote it during the pandemic. Okay. So I actually, I follow her on Twitter. Uh-huh. So I, I knew that she was just like getting really caught up in the whole Donald Trump presidency. Yeah. Then the pandemic happened and you could kind of see where this was coming from. Like it was coming from the period of time when like Asian Americans were getting beat up walking down the street because people were blaming Chinese people for the pandemic starting. Yeah. So sometimes that kind of stuff doesn't translate that well into a novel because it's so like present in the moment that we're living yeah. in. But you know, as a Chinese Canadian, I feel like, you know, we need we do need some stories that talk about this stuff from time to time. So that that is my recommendation for people this Christmas. Uh, you know, it's not such a crazy logical leap. Uh, if if Trump had, had won a second term uh, and, and he'd continue on as president, you sort of take a lot of his rhetoric, right? You dash that in with a little bit of what was happening with uh Mexican people at the border who are who are were being separate like kids were being separated from parents in d- these detainee camps for people mm-hmm. who are illegal immigrants across the Mexican border, uh, and then you sprinkle in w- with that or mix in with that a little bit of this historical uh, truth about internment camps during uh, during World War uh, World War Two, which happened in, yeah. in America and in and in Canada. Uh, my daughter is taking history right now in in, in grade seven and they're talking a lot about the canadian the french uh english uh history of canada and some of the things that were happening back then where where french people were sort of made to sign uh like statements saying that they would be uh neutral in any conflict involving france and 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 how some of them signed it but then didn't follow through on it all these type of things and it's not hard to, to put all that together and then have pop out the idea that in some kind of like future that's just a few steps off from our own uh, you could see something like that happen where... Well, yeah, I mean, we went through, you know, some degree of that in the early pandemic when people were blaming, you know, the China... China, China <coughs> sorry, when people were blaming the virus from coming from China, yeah. right? And it's not a stretch to th- imagine that if World War Three broke out between China and America, yeah. right? That's not, a, that's not a completely far-flung scenario, yeah. unfortunately, in this day and age, that being Asian American or Chinese Canadian would suddenly be an uncomfortable experience. Yeah. I mean, right, right now, it uh, the government has actually, the government of Canada, 
Justin Trudeau has come out with a statement saying that we have to ha have a change our relationship with China because China is actually doing things that are acting like against our national security and that and that they want mm -hmm. to you know protect ourselves from that. that that's a statement that's being made right now. In fact, it's not that far-fetched an idea that China did create the COVID virus in the first place. <laughs> now, 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 Dr. Harmon, I'd like to see some actual evidence before we start talking about stuff like that on the Medical Dads podcast. <laughs> I had it all here on my laptop, and then for some reason, it all got deleted, and all this Chinese writing came up. <laughs> yeah, no, all, all that to say that uh, in, in the world we live in, and the fears that, that surrounding people, right? It's not hard to see people acting out of these mm -hmm. fears and doing things that seem crazy on the surface, but then actually aren't any worse than what we've done in the, in the, in the past in history. So, uh, right. Uh, I mean, the Japanese internment camps occurred in my parents' lifetime. It's not that long ago. Right. Right. And I mean, we were thinking about it the other day and it's like, well, the Japanese were at war with America. So they said, okay, all the Japanese Americans, even the, even the American citizens out of you, we're going to put you all in a camp because you might be loyal to uh to your homeland yeah. and so then they carved out little pieces of land stuck everyone in these camps separated people from their families like this is like crazy stuff yeah. right and then you're kind of thinking would they do that to chinese americans you know there's more chinese americans than japanese so maybe it would be harder to do they need more trucks <laughs> but would they be able to do it Anyways, the, food for thought. Yeah, food. I mean, yeah, I mean, we could go on and on. Even the idea that, right, the fear of that possibly happening percolates in people's minds. Uh, and so it would only be natural if some people say, ah, it seems far-fetched, but it's a possibility. Maybe we should take some steps to prevent such a thing from ever being able to happen. You know, they, they just go on and on with this. It's crazy. <laughs> I don't know if we, I, I have a feeling that I'm going to cut this part out of this episode. <laughs> this is the part where we essentially incite a riot <laughs> in a big chunk of Toronto and almost all of Vancouver. <laughs> it's funny because the book that I last read, I, I was on vacation. I had a copy of the book Ready Player One, um, uh, oh, which yeah. is also in a sort of a, a dystopian kind of wrecked future. Um, but is much lighter in its uh, in its tone and has a lot of more hilarious historical references if you count pop culture references from the 80s as being historical references. So there you go. There are some things to watch out for when you hit up the bookstore for your next shopping visit. Folks, not all kids want a microscope for Christmas. <laughs> Let's just hope that all your kids, when they get those books, realize that it's because they're on the nice list, that that's what the kids on the nice list are getting, not the naughty list. <laughs> there you go. All right, we'll see you all in a week. See you in a week, folks. <laughs>